You're listening to the Irish Times. It is a glorious Monday morning of success on the Out of Times podcast. Uh, we got over the weekend. We had Natalia Coyle won a silver medal in modern pentathlon in the World Cup. We had Lynn Boylan, uh, who won silver at the World Track Cycling Championships. We had Kira McGeehan, who won European Indoor Bronze. We had Mark English, who won European Indoor Bronze. We had Leitrim, who got promoted out of Division 4 of the National League. But, most gloriously of all, our own Pat Nugent, his home club in County Tipperary, has won... Uh, The Tipperary Club jersey competition it seems to be the name of it <laughs> they went all out on the name of the competition <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tipperary Club jersey yes Newcastle Coshlan New and Assure Newcastle down in South Tipperary have won I should I should stand when you talk you should yeah, yeah. Uh, have won the Tipperary Club jersey competition. It seems to be an online poll, if I'm following it right. Imagine my surprise. Yeah, and the, the last... How, how did... How did you, now, correct me if I'm wrong here. Newcastle's a pretty small club. Very, very small club, because half our parish is in Waterford. So, for them to win an online competition means that, A, nobody else knew about this competition, or B, they actually won it on merit. I think we might have won it on merit yeah. because I, like, I don't think we would have organised uh, some kind of a committee to be sitting on their this phones voting saying. or anything like that. And even if we did, like as you say, we would have had a smaller population to do mm. it than anybody else. I don't know. Yes, but Bursley, J.K. Brackens and Carrick Swan beaten out in the final. So. In their face. Yeah, in your face, lads. County title coming to South Tip. Uh, and look, we'll take it, frankly. I must say, when uh, when I uh, saw this last night, Pat, I had one thought above all. Go on. Uh, the Newcastle jersey is suspiciously like the Kilkenny goalkeeper's jersey. It's all black with amber trim. It is, yeah. The, and this jersey won a Tipperary club competition. Now that you say it, mm. that is a surprise. I wonder, instead of Russian trolls, did we have Kilkenny trolls mm. in filtering... Infiltrating the competition. I suspect the heavy hand of politics in this. Yeah. For your local TD is? Matty McGrath. Mm. What, you're, you're, you're I'm insinuating, calling out that Matty fixed I'm the competition? I'm insinuating that there's, there's, there's jiggery-pokery afoot <laughs> in the Tipperary Club jersey competition. I just don't see how you won. Because oh, it's a beautiful jersey. Yeah, I don't know. And people can just appreciate its beauty and simple as that. And... I'm sure that Matty McGraw would take huge exception to your inference. Mind you, I'm sure that he's also we'll get very lawyer, proud. We'll get our lawyers on to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matty will go after the Irish Times. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Matty's going to be wearing the jersey next week in the doll. Well, as I say, it's a day of glory and we will be celebrating other lesser glories as the, the podcast goes along. We will be talking to the aforementioned uh, Leitrim uh, manager, Terry Highland. He's going to be on the phone with us. Ian O'Reardon is going to be on uh, from Glasgow telling us all about our European indoor medals. Uh, but first of all, we will talk about glory to come uh, with the rugby coming up on Sunday. Ireland are playing France in the Six Nations and our rugby lads are in. Jerry Thorney, how are you? Good, thanks. Gavin, how are you? How's it going? We are 
Games on Sunday this week, so we're mm-hmm. six days out uh, from France. Jerry, you were in Belfast last week. Uh, we, we may as well get some of the housekeeping out of the way. Yeah. Where where does everything sit? Who's back? Who's not back? All that sort of Ooh, stuff. It was quite changed yeah. from the Rome 23. I counted nine players who were in the Rome 23 who weren't in attendance and 11 who were excused duty from the 23 in Rome who were part of this training squad uh, in Queen's University, the Open Training Squad. So it looks like it's going to be a very full-strength side um, Sean Cronin wasn't there Jack McGrath wasn't there John Ryan wasn't there the two Connacht locks Quinn Rewalt and Delan weren't there Jordy Murphy wasn't there Sean O'Brien we come back to him he wasn't there uh, John Cooney and Andrew Conway weren't there but uh, Keen Healy was back Rory Best was back um, the three locks Ian Henderson Tyke Byrne James Ryan were all back so the Connacht locks were dropped yeah looks that way yeah and looks like later. looks like those three it's going to be picked in those three um, Stander was back CJ Stander Helen Ice but, um, some ice to his face at one point and everybody oh what's happened but uh, according to Joe Schmidt it was just a poke in the eye um, <laughs> you need ice for a poke in the eye well yeah you would do I suppose around the eye area um, they never actually Jack confirmed Conan. a fractured cheekbone no they never have only the brother of the lost tweet yeah. <laughs> wouldn't know about it and he's an and, Olympic swimmer so and, I don't see and any good news was that um, Robbie Henshaw was training there and Gary Reenrose was back and Jordan Larmer was back whereas uh, Joey Carby and Johnny Sexton didn't take part in the session they just ran behind the goal um, I'd be very sceptical about Joey Carberry, Jerry. About, of course, yeah. Because yeah. he said he t- can't train till Wednesday, which yeah. from normally from interpreting Schmidt speak, that means he's not playing. Uh, and same goes for Robbie Henshaw, just because he hasn't been on the pitch. You know? Yeah. Now, Robbie Henshaw wasn't training, but he, according to the coach, had trained that morning with Dan Levy in a separate programme. Look, all you can do is take the coach at his, at, at his word, and he says that he is very hopeful that Joey Carberry will be back training next Wednesday or Friday, which, if so, would put him in the mix but um, if, if he doesn't make it, at least Jack Curley got to run the whole session by himself and he has no fears really at all about Johnny Sexton. Yeah, really look, it's, so so we're talking on Monday. This The team would start to take shape like where it'll start filtering out, I guess, tomorrow and, and, and Wednesday a little bit. So uh, the, there's no point speculating too much. I, I guess the one thing that, that we should we should establish is this is sort of... They'll be, they be going locked and loaded now, Sunday. This, ah, is, yeah. this, is, this is no messing around. This anymore. is the this is yeah. the first team uh, that, he, is, that th- he has available. This is Keane Healy, Rory Best, Tyke Furlan, front yeah. row. It's yeah. those three locks: Henderson, Byrne, and Ryan. I would imagine it'd be Ryan and Henderson, maybe with Byrne on the bench. Yeah. Back row would be interesting. Um, Stander looks like he's going to come back in the mix. Conan's there too. Josh van der Fleer trained with them, and of course Peter Armani. The Sean O'Brien one is interesting. Um, People may may or may not be putting two and two together and coming up with more than four in deducing that because Sean O'Brien wasn't there, he won't be involved at all in the last two games. I don't know about that because Sean O'Brien, like, Sean O'Brien was at his own training, he was doing his own training in Leinster with his own training load because of the workload he's had lately. Sean O'Brien knows his body better than anybody else. We all know he's been through an awful lot of injuries. For example, he does not do captain's runs. Um, hasn't done one in five or six years but because he wasn't spotted doing one in the England game because we haven't seen him do play matches and it was first game back because he's been so injured so much in the last four years he, you just don't trust that he's going to be out there all the time also, for a consecutive game but also you know? he knows his own body best so that if he trains the day before a game he's a bit stiff on game day so he doesn't do captain's runs so I've it's known, a, Paul, a Paul McGrath situation yeah, yeah I, I remember so, yeah, yeah yeah Trevor Brennan didn't do captain's runs yeah. either you know I mean lots of players in their 30s decide it's not for them I mean, and so that's so you wouldn't know what Shawnee, the coach again said he was going to be back in Carton House on Tuesday. So we'll see. Gavin, with with Sunday's game, what's more important here, the result or performance? I'd say it's for them now, it's about just trying to get a result because there's no evidence that the performance is going to come 
So I'd say they might pare it back down and just try Get to it back to France. basics. Because, like, France, for all, we've been laughing at them and their calamitous nature in the last few years and, like, losing to Fiji and some of their, like, the atrocious performance at Twickenham. They went and picked a bunch of their kids and DuPont came alive, Entomac came alive, and they were, like, for the first 20, 30 minutes of the game against Wales, the Six Nations, fantastic. And against Scotland, they really showed signs that... They've got the old guard there. Para's gone, but um, they got the old guard there with Pickamalls and a few other guys, and they got these young kids coming in, which like Demba Bamba and all that. There's so many things that could be achieved by them. What we do know is they'll run out of gas, but what we also do know is they'll beat the living hell out of Ireland in the first hour of this game. So you can't be wondering, worrying about getting this uh, change and finding this great performance. It's going to be just about winning the game. Which is a pity because we sh- the team should be at a different level by now. They should be trying to go to d- express themselves in different ways and play in a different style and you know kind of bring our- bring the Irish game on. And that hasn't been possible because of performance levels. So now it's you got to break it down and go. Do you want to lose three games in this championship? Because that ain't that ain't good. Because Cardiff's going to be extremely difficult to win the game there. That goes back to Schmidt's Ireland to don't win in Cardiff. Like that's that's the record. So this game takes on a lot of significance and the hell performance just win the game it's a live question though like because performances have the you know they, they haven't been great like that that's what people are looking for too they're they are looking for performance big time and so i uh, so so schmidt on the leading player all the players there they really need a performance they, they need two performances to get some momentum out of the six nations to take into the world cup ma- warm-up matches in august and september if they go through a tournament without one ma- one decent performance to their their own high exacting standards it would be i would imagine quite damaging and certainly if it came with another defeat or two it would be very damaging for the world cup so these games regardless of the destination of the title which is probably beyond them anyway at this stage um, are huge in terms of the world cup now and in terms of just the, this squad's well-being um and they, I would, I would imagine. I agree with Gav. I think they might pare it down a bit and not be too ambitious early on. Um, not try and force the pass like they've been doing. They've been making an extraordinary amount of errors with the ball, just inaccuracies, handling errors, forcing the passes, not catching the passes, um, misfiring at line out time. Um, you know that was the a line very, out's key, isn't it? Yeah, like it's, it, it's, it's, so much is built on that. And it, if I could uh, have one moment back in Rome, it would be that first throw, Sean Cronin <laughs> squinting into the sunlight for his sake. And the team's sake. If I could have one moment back, it would be that he hit Peter Armani. I'd say that. he'd take it back as yeah. well. It's just, I think what I was. You mean from a, from a tone point of view, that, that it just yes. set the tone yeah. for if everything they, else? I, I honestly, I do remember one year when Ireland had four misfiring performances and got England at home in the fifth game, who were going for the Grand Slam, and beat them out the gate with the best performance. When Sexton tapped and goed after like yeah. two minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A good few years back now. But yeah, that was it. You're right. Uh, I, do, I think I, I might be in a min- minority of one here, but I actually don't think. They're that far away, bizarrely enough, from a very good performance. The Six Nations is not a linear progression over seven weeks and five matches. Never has been, never will be. Ireland, like, stumbled in Paris, as we know, barely over the line. They got the late intercept try against Wales. Their best performance by a distance was the first hour in Twickenham. Wales were atrocious in the first half in Paris. Were handed the game the second half by the French. Were 
functional and efficient with a much changed side in Rome and then bang, spring to life. I mean, maybe uh, it just didn't work for Ireland when England came first up. You know, we've analysed that game to death, but it, it definitely did untold damage to them for some reason psychologically and mentally. And uh, it's made, I believe they're training very well, but you look, I look closely at that body language in Rome and it's just, you look back on the tape again and the amount of exasperation signed, the amount of anger between them. They look angry with themselves and with each other. They don't like that they're enjoying their rugby. Well, we were saying last week when Conor Murray scored his try, there was no joy even though it was a bonus point try. Yes, I know. Yeah. And uh, when Peter Armani won a relieving turnover penalty, not one player patted him on the back and he just sighed. As <laughs> <laughs> oh, has it come to this? But standard, <laughs> you know, standard this is... ring rows, James Ryan changed the dynamic of every single team. But what, what I think what could I think they actually need to change the dynamic of their team a little bit more. And what happens, who does that is Tyg Byrne mm. because he hasn't been in this Irish team regularly because he hasn't established himself. And I think it, if ever there's a time for him to be rewarded for his form, even his injury and he came back straight away and was excellent, is now. Um, funny, Do you remember the first Six Nations game under Declan Kidney? Uh, it was against France. In, in the Aviva Stadium. Oh, nine, yeah, I do, yeah. And there was that brilliant Jamie Heaslip try, which they started from a line-out on their own half. Just sensational. And everybody just jumped on Heaslip. And it was after the ends of the Eddie O'Sullivan era, after a very uninspiring, poor November, first November window, very tense, very taut. And every one of the 14 players just jumped on Jamie and it was like, oh, they've got something here. And then we all learned afterwards that was the Rob Carney moment in their Christmas yeah. camp and they pulled them all together. I just think that if they could get an early try against France and you could just see a little bit of happiness coming back into them. I'm told they had a good few beers in Rome after the game. I'm told that they had some very good kind of um, events. They did the black cab taxi ride through Belfast and they went out one night in, in Belfast as well. That Maybe they've, lear- they've actually looked at themselves and looked at their own body language and said, come on, We've actually this. We've got the best job in the world here. Let's start enjoying it. A I'd little say bit. that's player driven. They kind of go to the coaches. And I'd say, just, I'd say just, Rory Best would be a factor. Can in we that just too, take yeah. it down and yes. match? Can, yeah. we, can yeah. we not be in front of a screen for nine hours every day? Can we just go and do that? And if that all happens, great. Um, Eason he was right on Saturday though. He said a really good thing, a very interesting thing about how. Uh, Robbie Henshaw, I mean, I know he played fullback and it was all worth having a look and I know he wants to play there and I know he wants to play outside centre but let me tell you, I played 12 when he was injured last season and when he comes back in and plays 12 like he did in that Saracens quarterfinal, it changes the dynamic of the team because um, it was, like, he pointedly not making a criticism of Bundy Aki who's been fine and all that because Robbie Henshaw is kind of a generational player and if you can get him, if I think, and actually we don't know if he's fit but someone like him and Ty Byrne, they can come in as like all the things off the pitch, they'll sort out. Mm-hmm. We know they'll mm-hmm. sort it out. You don't win a Grand Slam together and then f- fall apart. You just don't. You don't win a series in Australia and then fall apart as a group. But you can't say Ireland have been terribly poor just because Bundyaki's been there. He was no. ever present in the Grand Slam. Yeah, he Look, played against the All Blacks. He's been actually yeah, but something one of is wrong. But something is wrong. Okay, mm-hmm. so we can't deny that something's not wrong. Their form has been bad for three games. It's not been acceptable by their standards. So that's why I'm saying Tyg Burn. Until his injury, and when he came back, he showed it. One of the form forwards in Europe, uh, Robbie Henshaw, as he's going to see, was his generational player. Like if you get these guys in consistently and they can stay fit, they can change. They can. What happens has to happen after you win a Grand Slam is you're there to be taken to be taken out, and that's what's happened to Ireland. They got taken out by the next great team, good team that came along. So it's up to them now to go to another level. They haven't been able to do that. So what they have to do is they have to see how can we do it. Is it get introducing someone like Carberry into the game quicker, earlier, whatever it is? You know what I mean? Is it like, how long do you want to wait for, um, like, Conor Murray and Sexton to re... Which they will, I'm sure, I've no doubt. But how long do you want to wait for this? You know, something else has to happen to change the dynamic of the team. Otherwise, you know, 
Otherwise, they, think, won't, they won't take yeah, the next step. I think you have a, a good point, Jerry. That that all all it is is a, is a spark or, or something like that. And like I was, it's funny. I was writing in the paper this morning that the the the, the stupidest cliche in sport is that you don't become a bad team overnight. You don't need to become a bad team to go through a bad patch. Mm-hmm. All you need is to become an Slightly uncertain off. team. Yeah, not uncertain. A, a team Doubt that themselves. yeah, exactly. A yeah. team that you know can't do yeah. right for doing wrong. You know, yeah. and yeah. and so that that looks to be. Our best guess at as what what has happened here. Very much so, and it's 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 what the coaches and the players are more or less saying. If you read between the lines, that that is what's happening. I think um, with specific regard to France, this is this has become a more daunting challenge because France just look a tougher team in round four than certainly they would have been in t- round two. That was the time to get them when they were picking centres in the wing and a winger at full back and all the rest of it. Um, they've got a huge injection of confidence from that win over Scotland. Like they got four tries, could easily have been six. Um, they were over the line eight times in total. Um, and I think this is very reminiscent of the Leinster to lose games. Because watching them again last night, the French, and like they have a, an, a 22-year-old Toulouse scrum half, a 19-year-old Toulouse out half, and a 23-year-old Toulouse fullback, who are very much key to what they're trying to do. Plus Gail Ficou at centre, who spent many years at Toulouse. Plus Yuan Uge, who plays at Toulouse. And plus Louis Picamoles, who played a long time in Toulouse. Um, they've one or two more in the squad as well. And the f- most striking thing for me about what France tried to do against Scotland, Gav, was when... I remember early on Dupont ripped the ball from Nick Grigg and Thomas Ramos steams onto the ball and three forwards are pointing to the left where Entomac, um, Entomac, Uge and somebody else have pulled back to form a counter-attacking line and Ramos switches the play, long pass right to left and they go attacking up the left-hand side and it ends up in the first try of the game. I think it was disallowed. But in the same way that Toulouse do, they are absolutely alert to the possibilities of turnover and counter-attack. Ramos is a counter-attacking fullback, and Dupont, um, if you watch his tra- where he runs, are kind of brilliant cheating running lines, so that he will be there in support. He's a brilliant runner in open play. And I think that's the biggest danger. If Ireland are going to start turning over the ball and force the pass and make mistakes, these guys have given, been given complete licence in the Toulouse way to tr- transition like that from defence to attack. And it's fascinating to watch and it makes them very entertaining. And, and of course they're offloading for fun as well. And they've stumbled across this team. And it is clearly looks yeah. like the team with Fuku in the centre yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah. Uje finally playing wing. Where, yeah, well, you know. I mean, they're just players playing in their normal positions. Penn has yeah. been on fire for Clement of the wing, that's fair enough. Um, they've got a full-back now, Thomas Ramos, who plays full-back. Uje's back in the wing where he plays. Gail Ficko has been tearing it up for Stade Francais this season. He's been their best player all season on in midfield back in midfield with Bastro who still can do something for them Entomac amazed me in that Scottish game and how much composure he showed for a 19 year old starting his first international at 10 I means essentially a 12 he played 12 for the French under 20s he's, he's only played 3 games I believe for Toulouse at 10 um, so to pitch him in it was quite a call Dupont is potentially world class genius unlocking a game and they have a really juggernaut heavy big carrying pack Laurie back at six makes him a better unit he's a very good player pick him old is playing the best rugby of his life so they're dangerous but I think in the same way um, Leinster strangled to lose in the return match in the RDS I think there'll be an element of that this coming and Sunday in a way, as well doesn't, it, doesn't that sort of set it up perfectly because like they, if Ireland beat them, it isn't the win just, just you know, you, you know they just beat France. It's a win over an improving France. Improved, improved France. Uh, France and that, that look to have a bit about them now. And Joe Schmidt described this as perfect. I think Joe Schmidt would rather play a rejuvenated France than a, than a, than a bad one. You think they can, the way Leinster's defence just locked to mm-hmm. lose down, it could be similar. I just feel that it changes when you put on a French jersey, when you put it into a test arena. Do you think that can, because the way they, that punishing way that they sucked the life out of Toulouse in that game. Yeah. Uh, 
I'd be interested to see if that, they could do that at test level against this French well, team they, just because French are probably more punishing team this is a bigger even France team yeah I think, I think I don't think Scotland ever took France through the phases really took them through the phases the way that uh, other teams can the way Ireland can they're missing too many quality players yeah yeah um, we've seen far too many qualifiers I just see a lot of Irish ball carriers trucking it up I see more accuracy in the clear outs and I see them t- dragging France through the phases and owning possession and also that was France the mentality of that France-Scotland game France were up against the wall with guns pointing at them and a guillotine waiting in the backyard in case the guns didn't work like they were dead if they didn't win that game and that's why they had to kill Scotland it was a very big one-off highly emotional performance the Stade de France was packed. The Marseillaise must have been sung about six times. The Aviva won't be like that for them on Sunday. But can I just say one thing about it? Like, how did we beat France last year? We beat them because we went through 42 phases with Ian Hennison and CJ Stander trucking it up. Mm-hmm. Them coming back into the team to carry ball is mm-hmm. key. It's going to be a fascinating week and we will be back here next Monday to be wise after the event all about it. Thank you very much, lads. I'll talk to you again. Ian O'Reardon is in Glasgow uh, after a triumphant European Indoor Athletics Championships. Is, is triumphant a bit bit strong, Ian, or, or is that should we be embracing this good morning? Well, certainly su- successful. Um, anytime you come to a championships and win two medals, I think that has to be a success for for any team. Um, bronze medals, obviously, for Kieran McGeehan and Mark English, but. If, if you look back at the sort of the circumstances coming here, both of those athletes had uh, had won medals previously in championships. Mark English was a silver medalist four years ago. Kira McGeehan, she won bronze outdoors in twenty back in twenty sixteen. But they've had a, I suppose, a bit of a roller coaster or maybe more of a plateau since. And this was very much a return to form, and I suppose in some ways a kind of a redemption run for both of them, winning medals here. So certainly for those two, I'd, I'd say it was very successful. And um, it's funny though, I mean it was a it was a, I've kind of said from the outset that these championships were they were important from an Irish perspective for, for a few reasons. Number one, if you look at the 2019 season as a whole, the, the, the major outdoor championships are in Doha. That's at the tail end of the season, late September, October, from far off Qatar. And it's, a, it's very difficult to kind of get too excited about those. I think it's going to be a very different situation over there just because of a number of circumstances, including the heat. So this, these were very important championships for Irish athletes to succeed in. And I think that's why a lot of them targeted especially Kira McGee and Mark English, and to both win medals was, was important. Um, at the same time, though, I don't know how many European indoors and outdoors and whatever I've covered, and <laughs> the Irish Athletics seems to have this uncanny ability to sort of redeem itself with medals. And I think there were 16 athletes here, and if you go back to Friday, um, I, I, kind of, I kind of made the comparison. It was like a bad day in the stock exchange where all the athletes were kind of losing their value quite early on. And we saw a bit of a drama with, with Phil Healy not making her semi-final as a... As a as a direct qualifier, which kind of definitely impacted on her ability to make the final. There would have been a drama on Saturday night with Mark English originally being outside the qualification because he was obstructed when the English guy fell in front of him and he had to appeal to get into the final. So at one point, we were kind of holding on to tin threads. Um, but certainly, I think the way both Atkins won those medals last night, I mean, neither of them neither of them went out to win bronze. Both of them went out, to, you know, hoping to, to arrive. And as it turns out, the women's 1500 meters was won by Lara Muir, who's probably the best 1500 meter runner in the world right now. I mean, I think if you brought her up against anyone, she'd, she'd be very hard to beat. She, of course, won the double, the 15 and the 3K. And Mark English as well. I mean, he he, he went himself, went out, went out from the gun, put himself in second or third the, the entire way, and he was hanging on for third. And I think if there's a 
another few metres, he might have admitted himself he wasn't even sure he was he would going to hold on. So, so two very strong performances, and both of them, as I say, I think had a sort of a sense of, if not redemption, certainly kind of justification to kind of prove to themselves that look, these are these are proper championship athletes, and I think that's why the medals can be. That's kind of why the medals are celebrated as being a little bit extra special, I suppose. Ian, I'm curious. Um, after Mark English's fall in the semi-final. Explain it. How lucky was he actually to be in the final? I wouldn't say lucky, no. I'd say he was very unlucky, first of all, to be taken down. Um, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a clear rule there whereby if, if you are obstructed by another athlete for that's for a reason that's completely beyond your faults, you can, you, can, you can lodge an appeal. And then it's up to the track referee to decide whether, whether it was fair or unfair. And I mean, he was certainly taken out and obviously finished the race fast. So it was, it was important that he finished the race. So it's happened before. We've seen it before. So he was probably... He was probably looking in the end, but I'd say he was probably riding his luck a little bit to be sitting at the back of the field. So you kind of invited that situation. And, you know, if he'd gone down and if he'd rolled over and he could have done his ankle, that would, that would have been race over. So um, I think a kind of combination of, of both. He was, he was a bit lucky to get in all right, but probably a bit unlucky to be, to be or probably riding his luck to be at the back of the field as he was. You know, I was watching on television last night and I was struck by something that Jerry Kiernan said. He called Mark English the greatest Irish talent he's seen in middle distance running. I was very surprised to hear such a hyperbolic take on it. Would Mark English be seen as being that talented in, in circles? Wow. Funny. Jerry Kiernan was normally known to sort of play down these situations. But, um, well, if, if you look at, put it this way, what is he? He's 20, 25 now. Um, Mark English has run, he's only made, he's made three championship finals, two indoors and the European outdoors in 2014. And he's medaled in all three of them. I mean, that's, that's a pretty impressive track record, strike rate. He came very close to making a world championship final um, in Beijing in 2015. And he's had a lot of setbacks as well. And Mark's one of these guys who, like he's a medical student, he knows that the body is not a, not a, not a machine and he'll never make excuses. But he, we, we, we knew there was something wrong with him. I mean, he tailed off pretty much last in his European outdoor heat in Berlin last summer. And we knew something was wrong, but he, he, he wasn't going to go around and start feeling sorry for himself. He, he went away and he quietly got himself back in form and he, he's been working on his biomechanics. He's been trying, he's been trying to kind of re, sort of redesign himself um, to come back as strong as, as he has. But to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I've been following Mark, Mark English's career since he was a 15, 16-year-old, and he's certainly been as good as anyone at that age. Uh, he's a 144 man. He still doesn't hold the Irish record, by the way. That's still held by David Matthews going back to, what is it, 1995, I think. But I certainly don't think we've seen the absolute best in Mark English. And if you're talking about 800-meter talent and somebody who could potentially make an Olympic final in Tokyo next year, well, my money would certainly be on, be on Mark English there, yes. Ian, we'll move on to Kieran McGee. And uh, talk to me about how it looked in the, um, in the arena. Uh, the cameras uh, on TV, uh, as you can imagine, with the BBC being the host broadcaster, concentrated on Laura Muir. Uh, and cut away from the, the race for second place at exactly the wrong time because as the camera cut away, Kira was in front and, and looking like she was going to get second and then by the time it panned back, she had been passed uh, on the line. Um, did it, uh, was it, w- was she just run out of it as, as she came down the home straight? Yeah, you know, it's funny, it was, it, it was a brilliant race. I mean, Lara Muir, as I say, she is, she's, she's incredible to watch because she, she actually went to the front early on and kind of just totally dictated the race. But in fairness to McGeehan, she did everything right, like she was in a perfect position. And then when McGeehan made her, sorry, when Muir made her surge, she ran her last, what was it, 400 metres around 57, 57.5. Like, that's very fast. Her last 200 metres in 28 seconds. So she really kind of wind, wind, Started to, started to wind it up as it came into the last lap. Um, so, yeah, so McGean went after her, and she was actually leading the chase down the back straight, mm. came past the uh, 
the Polish girl in Newey. Um, he was actually born in Morocco, by the way, but won't, we won't start that debate again. <laughs> so, yeah, so she, but then as I came, as I come around the final bend, it's almost like she was over ambitious and trying to go for silver and, and gave, gave a Newey a kind of second, second chance to come back at her. And once they came into the straight, she did exactly that. But I think it was, if anything, it was kind of, she was maybe over ambitious going for silver rather than being settling for third. I think I think she deserves credit for that, absolutely. And she said herself after the race, like I mean, if she if she if she'd left it if she kind of held back um and not passed the Newey, then she would have never known exactly how close she would have got to silver. At least she now knows she gave it her best shot and it just wasn't to be. How will she reflect on this now? Is it is this um she always seems to be coming back from something, Kieran again. Like there's a there's a good old step in the road for her. Yeah, as I said, it, there, is a net, there was a nice element of redemption here. Like, nobody was, there, was a, there, was, there wasn't a sort of a, a euphoric sense of, wow, this is amazing, because they've both been here before, and mm-hmm. they're, they're very mature athletes. And you're right about Kira McGeehan, and you, you know yourself, Malachi, like, she's, she's, she's one of these athletes who wears her heart on, the, mm-hmm. on her sleeve, and, you know, we've, 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 been, we've seen her in the mix zone, we've been having to give her sick bags or tissues or whatever to try and, try and console her. Like, she, she really does, um, she's, you know, she goes through the extremes in both senses. But I think now there's, a, there's certainly a more mature element to her. And she's been very consistent indoors all year. Like, she's broken two Irish records. She's improved her 1,500-meter best by two seconds. That's a big chunk to get down to 4.06. And she's still, still only 26. And it's only about, about, what, less than two years since she moved over to Manchester, switched coaches, trained with Steve Vernon. She's in a very happy group now. And I think, again, like Mark English, I, think, I don't think we've seen the best of Kieran McGee by any, by any means. And again, if you're looking towards athletes for 2020 for Tokyo, these are the ones, these are the ones you'll say, yeah, these are our potential finalists. But go back to my original point at the outset, I and mean, we had 16 athletes coming here. Uh, okay, maybe half of those are making their debut, but, but they were pretty much all gone by, by Friday evening, um, which, was, which was disappointing when you consider, uh, I would, certainly would have put Phil Healy into, the, into a final category. Um, others such as Thomas Barr, I mean, he was essentially switching codes coming here by doing just doing the 400 metres. That, that was never really going to happen for him. But you might have kind of thought, well, is there any other athletes who are going to put their hand up and say, look, here's, a, here's, a, here's one to watch for the future. Here's one to say maybe two or three years down the road, you have another medal contender. And um, I'm not entirely sure if we saw that. Yeah, what about any of these juniors that we were, we were all getting excited about last summer? Is it still a bit early for some of them? There were none of those were here. Well, right. was, the only one who was here was Molly Scott from the women's four by one hundred meter relay, and she actually did run very well. She actually was of the of the three women in the sixty meters. Actually, there was only two in the end. She was she was a close to qualifying by by some distance, and she ran well. I think definitely for Molly Scott, that was her first senior indoor championship. We'll hear more about her. Um, there's a few more. I mean, there's a, there were a few more. Obviously, this young guy, Killian Murphy, or Killian Murphy in the um, sorry, Killian Green, I should say. Getting my names mixed up there. Keelan Green in the men's 400 meters is another potential. Like this is his first senior championships, and he's he's showing a bit of potential there. It's still early days, but I just kind of thought it would have been it would have been nice for somebody to sort of even set a season record or personal record or something where you could kind of say at least they kind of justify their selection. Um, but look, as I say, we've been here before, and I think for a lot of athletes, you have to. And if you go back to Kira McGee and you go back to Mark English and. Like even Lara Muir was making the point after her double wins here over the weekend that she this is her third or fourth European indoors and the first year like she didn't even make the final the second year she finished fourth or fifth and you know it does take a few a few goes at this um, before you start winning medals but look again it goes back to my original point Irish athletics is kind of based on medal winning performances and I think I don't forget Kieran McGee finished fourth as well at a European outdoors last summer so. It was very important they got onto the medal podium and had something to show for their efforts. And I think that's really that's the kind of the, that's that, that's the kind of the uh, the sense coming away from there that these, these are athletes who fought, delivered, 
did did a job, and um, that's that's certain, certainly to be applauded. And God knows, in in terms of justifying selection, a couple of medals justifies you going to Glasgow for the weekend. <laughs> so you know, we can all we can all get behind that. Yeah, well, it is, and I think they were very competitive championships. I mean, you look at the. It's all right. You don't need to talk it up. They, they, you know, you, you brought home a couple of medals. This, uh, the sports editor will be happy, and you'll be allowed to go to another one sometime. Well, unfortunately, the next major championship, as I say, is is Doha, is in Doha and Qatar, and it runs into that minor rugby tournament in in Japan around Stars? the same time. So yeah, you'll be getting a boat fairly soon for that. I'd say. <laughs> what would have preference there? All right, Ian. Listen, thanks a million. We talk to you again. Pleasure. Cheers. You're listening to the Irish Times. We'll finish, Pat, with the story of the weekend in the GAA. Uh, Leitrim got promoted to Division 3 and uh, we have their manager, uh, Terry Highland, on the line. Terry, thanks for taking the call. No problem. Terry, uh, Leitrim have been in Division 4 since the, the leagues were, were regraded, I guess, in about 2008. And uh, the great Leitrim uh, journalist, Sean McGoldrick, was telling me last night that it's their first promotion of any sort since 1990. So... Uh, it's quite a job that has happened over there in the last few weeks. Yeah, as well, too, to be fair. Uh, and again, as it was in all sport, it goes back to the people who uh, coached these fellas at Underage and brought them on and uh, left a product there, I suppose, for the one of another word to put on it, that we could get that success built up. Uh, you know, to be fair, um, you know, when we went in there, I suppose it was only four short months ago, mm. um, I felt that we did have the players that could push for promotion, and they did. Give me a, a bit of an insight into uh, the training regime there, Terry, because uh, an awful lot of these lads are in Dublin, aren't they? Do, do, is it right that you do a fair bit of training in the city? We would do. We were based in Blanche IT. Uh, we would have actually, you know, bar when competition started, we would have done, we would have, Jason Riley and myself would have went up on a Tuesday night. And we would train them up there every Tuesday night. Now, they would come home on Friday, of course, on Sundays, to mm. back to Little and they would train those in. But we didn't bring them home during the week because... I felt that uh, there wasn't much point in sitting for four hours plus in a car just to do an hour and a half walk. I mean, that's the wrong kind of synergy. Uh, so it was easier for two guys to go up to train 18 than bring an 18 down, you know. Because it's an awful lot, like, and, and, and it is, it's a, an old, old problem, especially with counties in the West, that, that they do get split up and, and Leitrim have, have really, you know, had that uh, over the years. Yeah, well, look, I suppose you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't and how you work. If 32 times and suddenly decided to train in Dublin on a Tuesday night, there probably wouldn't be a facility there to do them anyway. So <laughs> <clears throat> there is a little bit of that in it as well. Look, look, managers have a different outlook and different management teams and, you know, they talk about the collective and having everybody together doing the same thing. But you can do the same thing in, in two or three different venues if you want. It doesn't matter being organised. Terry, I'm curious, was your training this year aimed at the league as opposed to the championship? Was promotion on your mind from the very start? It was because, um, look, at, again, no disrespect to anybody else. And we looked at probably our skills levels and how we could improve them. And uh, we felt that if we could cut out uh, errors that would go a long way to get us promoted. You know what I mean? That, uh, that we were more efficient with what we were doing with the football at and uh, that type of scenario, more so actually than maybe a uh, fitness regime and I think possibly that's what paid off for us. And Terry, the getting out of out of Division 4, it was, you, you, you got a sense yesterday, I got a sense, you know, just have, I'd have a few Leitrim friends and people that I'd know around there, like the the joy that they've taken from it, you know, d- doing it this early, you know, winning five from five and, and just the 
the have you got that sense in the last couple of weeks when it looked like it might be on the cards that that there is that was that sort of ache for success over there? Yeah, well, again, the, the fact that I pop in the car and I'm gone, and well, okay, mm. I've been speaking to some recent people maybe during the week that maybe based in Cavan or some based in Dublin, and you get you do get a sense of that want and the need to have to get promotion. But to be honest, I didn't really feel it as bad as I did. It was yesterday, really, only it, it resonated with me when the game was kind of over that you could see by the players themselves it was a monkey off their back. You know what I mean? I think they were they were labouring under the weight of it and, you know, the media been telling them and maybe locals telling them and sure look at the old story she we're no you're no good and we don't expect you to win nothing and sure Berlitz them and all this sort of stuff. And I would have heard that myself. Mm. You know, we look at Terry Tree, you do your best. We look at we don't expect much and but we're leads them this type of thing and you know, maybe perhaps the expectation had got too heavy for them. And how did you feel when you hear that kind of stuff? You know, it, uh, you're coming in as an outsider there. Were you taken aback by by that being the attitude? I was slightly taken aback. As it, it, I, you know, don't get me wrong, and I'm not trying to offend the leads and people. Mm. I think it was maybe that some of them had a public an acceptance. Of, this is where we are, and this is our lot, and this is where we're going to be. But to be fair, we didn't have that with the players. Now the players mm. obviously. Wanted and gone to, and you know, we ran a panel of probably 38, 39 players up to a couple of weeks ago. We turned it back down there in the middle of the league, but you know, there was you, you, the players themselves and the football people themselves. They felt that they had a group that uh, could progress, and you know, and they have done that. And, and and to be honest with you, I think there's an awful lot more on these players. It just remind is a reminder sometimes, and it's good to have that reminder of what a great competition the league is. You know, because this this sort of day isn't like as you say yourself. It sort of just really isn't available to them in the championship. No. Well, perhaps the GA has uh, competitions maybe the upside down way or the wrong way around mm. way or whatever you want to put it. Like you know, the leagues are a bit consistent. And I suppose the championship, where, okay, you have a back door with all of it knockout and on the day, and we probably make that a bigger competition. It's the case, the bigger and the stronger teams, whereas the league is uh, about consistency. And you know what I mean? In the end of the day, you'll meet a strong team who will beat you any day in the league, but you always have another day and another day. And it's about the overall picture rather than anything else. I talked to a fair few like people from from like Division Four counties and Division Three counties, and I get a sense that this idea of you know a tier two All Ireland or whatever you want to call it is starting to kind of grow in popularity, or people are coming around to the the idea of it. What what would the feeling in Leitrim be about it? Well, again, I can only judge it from some of the players. You know, I mean, we really haven't spoke about it. I know mm. some of them. Emlyn would have said it in the media a few different times that you know that they, they were thinking about but it's all about marketing and how it's put forward and mm-hmm. how you don't uh, demean as I said the Division 3 Division 4 teams as in it's a lesser competition it's how you can keep it up there in parallel with the main one and that's the tricky one for the GAA you know it's, 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 it's how to sell that package to, mm. to the counties and to the people who participate and it's going to be the big one. Yeah, because it'd be interesting, you know, if if you had this sort of a sort of competition where, where there was, you know, promotion and relegation to the to the bigger competition, all that sort of stuff, and maybe, you know, the final played as a as a curtain raiser to the All Ireland final, all that sort of stuff. It does look like something that, that could work and, and give give these counties something to aim at. Yeah, and again it's going to become down it's going to, the devil is going to be in the detail like that. Currently looking at 16 v 16, and that's Division 1 mm. or 2, and then Division 2 and 3, or 3 and 4. But the problem with that is, what happens to a team who wins the championship? 
that's in Division 3 and they haven't gone up to Division 2 yeah. that they're still playing the same championship next year. Yeah. So there's where is the risk and reward and that for the team to win that competition? Yeah. I don't know. As I said, it's all going to come down to the details, you know? Uh, before any of that uh, ever happens, you have a date in Croke Park now in a couple of weeks. That's going to be like that. That's going to be a mega thing for for Leitrim. Yeah, well, it's, look, it is a big thing for the people of Leitrim, and you know they haven't got there in, in, in I think '94 or well, they fed them 2006 in the Tommy Murphy Cup, mm. and I think probably '94 before that. You know, the, it, 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 it's a big thing for them in one sense. It's a big occasion, and I think that you know that's probably what it should be. Rightly celebrated as it's been an occasion rather than it being a big day or a big item or a big thing because from a football point of view, we just have to treat it like a football match and it's a venue yeah. to go and play in and that's what we will be doing as a group, you know, both as management and players, whereas it's nice that the supporters can savour a big occasion in Crow Park. Well, Terry, it was a pleasure talking to you and a pleasure seeing Leitrim do that. Yes, I think everybody has a bit of a soft spot. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks very much to you, Pat, and to the rugby lads who were in talking to us earlier, Jerry and Gav, and to Ian O'Reardon who was talking to us about athletics. And thank you to Declan and to Jenny behind the desk, and we will see everybody again next week. Cheers, everyone.